This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Hi, I'm Greg Watson, and welcome to the show Property Matters, where we talk all things property here on Manawatu People's Radio and where all good podcasts are found. If you're looking for it, just search Property Matters and Greg Watson, and you'll find your way to a weekly show filled with information of what's happening locally in the Manawatu Wanganui, nationally in New Zealand, and sometimes even internationally. So this week, we're going to be talking a bit about the sales market uh, again. And summarising some of the articles that I've seen recently that might be of some interest to you. One thing that's fairly evident in the real estate market at the moment, particularly in this region, is that house sellers are reluctant to list if they can't buy first. So there's a big shortage of houses for sale and potential sellers' hesitancy to list their property in case they're not then able to help buy themselves. That's really not helping the situation. So it's tricky where... I guess it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation where if you sell a home now, it's possible that uh, you might end up with a place as the market increases that's not even as good as the one that you sold. So I'm just going to grab the piece of paper I dropped on the floor and I'll tell you an example. There we go. So they talked about an example here where, where they're talking to Ray White Carpenter Realty General Manager Lauren Mirabito. She's one of the judges on Block NZ and she said many people were concerned that there were significant risks in selling without having bought first in the highly competitive market. And she makes the point that it's a reasonable concern because if people didn't buy first, it's possible to be priced out of a fast-moving market if they did not move quickly. She said, it happened to my son. He sold with a view to upsizing. There was a six-week settlement period, and by the time he'd settled and looking to buy the market he was looking in, had moved up significantly. He ended up going from a three-bedroom to a two-bedroom place. Mirabito said her advice to people would be to buy before they sold, and that's because unless a property is particularly big or is plaster, you can guarantee the house will sell in this market and sell well. Yet some potential sellers were opting not to list at all. And Century 21 owner Darren Maine said with a few listings on the market, many homeowners are choosing to sit tight. They suspect they won't be able to find something better without forking out a lot more money. So many are interested in spending on home and property improvements. And one thing I've noticed here in Manawatu Wanganui, it's very hard to get people to do renovations as builders are extremely busy indeed. Sellers' hesitancy to list before buying or at all, along with the fact investors did not appear to be rushing to sell in response to the government's new housing policies, could be contributing to a listing's gridlock, he said. Realestate.co.nz, that's the listing website for properties, one of them in New Zealand, the spokeswoman Vanessa Williams said she could not see anything in the data that would suggest potential sellers were holding back from listing. What I can say, though, is that it's possible to make a offer on a property where you've still got a house to sell. Many people say, surely 
uh, we'll miss out because other people making offers in this market will, won't have or may not have a home to sell. So here's a, a tip on what you can do about that. You can sell your home but make one of the conditional arrangements or one of the conditions uh, depend upon you being able to find a suitable property within a period of time. That way you know the home has sold, the bank knows what they can lend you and then you're in a better buying position because uh, that will put your deal together on your home when you find a home that you like. Bearing in mind, if you don't find a home that you like, then the deal on your home for someone else to buy your home uh, would fall over and you'd be back to um, being in a similar position. So the worst case scenario would mean you'd still have somewhere to live. So that's something that they didn't necessarily discuss in this uh, article um, until um, a little bit a little bit later, which was suggested uh, by Brian Thompson, who's Harcourt's managing director. So he says that in this market, buyers often can't be choosers, so many will probably accept a longer settlement. So another option was for buyers to submit a confidential offer on their home, subject to their own place, on their next home I should say, subject to their own place selling and hope that it was accepted. So um, the number of offers we've noticed in this area simultaneously has reduced so it might be quite a good time to bring out that sort of clause to put into a contract so if your offer was for example the the highest and it was subject to your house selling within six weeks or having an unconditional offer within six weeks uh, that would be probably acceptable to many sellers Um, the only people that could trump you would be if they um, didn't have or if they'd already sold and as the article mentioned there's not many people that are in that position Speaking of uh, prices and that sort of thing, this article from stuff.co.nz says high house prices boost agent commissions by $1 billion. So that makes quite an interesting headline. Real Estate Institute data shows there was $90 billion of residential property sales across just over 100,000 properties in the year to June. So that 90 is up from 69.6 in the year to December 2020 and 53.3 in the year to December 2019. So the amount charged in real estate commissions can vary a lot and different firms use different formulas to calculate how much is charged. This article says though at a rate of 3%, which is roughly the industry average for a mid-range property sale, that means the industry pulled in $2.7 billion in the year to June compared to $1.6 billion in the year to December uh, 2019. There were just over 16,000 licensed salespeople in the year to June, up from uh, 15,000 in June 2019. So that means each agent made an average of 166,000, but they wouldn't have received that amount because the commission is split between the salesperson and the agency, and some salespeople sell significantly more than others. So if you think of getting into real estate, you could more or less halve that 166 to bring your earnings to around about that 83, and then that's the average. So there are some people that are making a lot more, and some people that are making almost nothing. In this article, they say on the average sale of 8.98 in the year to June, now that's nationally um, much higher than here, sellers would typically have paid anywhere from 27 to 35,000 for one of the big agencies. Consumer NZ spokeswoman Jessica Wilson said her organisation would encourage people to shop around and play salespeople off against each other to get a better deal. 
We're not seeing any significant difference in service from real estate agents, but the commission has increased just because the housing market has been so hot. So ultimately, consumers have choice. There are a variety of commission models used by agencies, including flat fees and tiered scales, and a choice of service levels across companies. People can also choose to sell their homes on their own and not have to pay commission. So it's a misconception that all agents earn six-figure salaries, and according to the latest MB data available, the average income for real estate agents is $84,500 a year. So the thing with the market at the moment is that listings are so tight that really uh, it's worth just seeing what companies will do in terms of uh, fees, etc., and to where they are at. Um, most importantly, though, is to employ somebody that you trust will do a great job and can show, in my opinion, techniques that are unique to get you the very best price for your property. Moving on to another article, and this one talking about selling it or buying, actually, for first-time buyers. It says, it's cheaper to buy a mortgage than rent, but only if you're in the right postcode. So this was in the lifestyle section of stuff.co.nz recently. So according to CoreLogic data, it only costs $18 a week more on average to service a mortgage than pay a market rent for first-home buyers purchasing in June. In Christchurch, it was $68.50 cheaper per week on average to pay a new mortgage rather than carry on renting. But new owners in Auckland and Wellington aren't so lucky and usually find themselves spending roughly $100 or more a week. So these figures are based on the prices paid for first homes in June, a 2.5% mortgage interest rate and a 30-year repayment term. They reveal the advantages first home buyers have if they're able to save a 20% deposit and get on the ladder, paying a comparable amount in order to pay off an asset rather than putting money in the landlord's pockets. However, CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Kelvin Davidson said the sums didn't take into account other expenses that came along with owning, such as rates, insurance and maintenance, or the impact of interest rate increases. So what I did was I got my calculator out and did, did some workings for us in this area. The median house price in Manawatu, Wanganui uh, region is $580,000. Uh, you would have to save a 20% deposit in many cases, so I've deducted that. And so I figured out that if you buy a property, it's going to cost you in monthly repayments seventeen seventy eight, whereas if you rent uh, per month, you're paying nineteen hundred and fifty uh, per month. So a significant difference there. You're actually better off if you buy at that price with the current interest rates. That's around the five eighty level. I then had a look at Palmerston North, where the median six sixty deducted the deposit that uh, hypothetically has been saved. And that worked out very close too. It means you'd have a mortgage of about 528000 uh, same conditions as those in the article. So if you buy a property at uh, 660 that's $2,086. Compared to if you're renting in Palmerston North, a pretty average home would be 280 So it's only going to cost you $6 extra per month. And that's hard, virtually nothing at all. So just thought I'd let you know that our region is one of the ones where actually if you can get that deposit and get into a property, uh, the, the payments will be uh, look a lot healthier than some other areas. So other places uh, identified as being cheaper, cheaper to 
own and to rent are, sort of like the west coast of the South Island and so forth, which has that great trade-off between uh, the house price and what you otherwise might be paying in terms of rent. This article came out um, and sounds very scary when you read the headlines because headlines only have one chance to sell the article. So this headline says, Hot Property Market at Turning Point, CoreLogic says. So the, the rising mortgage rates will slow the housing market, but it was already close to a turning point, a new analysis from CoreLogic reveals. House prices have continued to rise, but the property research company's second quarter market update showed price growth had been slowing over recent months. Price growth eased from 3.1% per month in April to 2.2% in May and then 1.8% in June. Now those are only monthly increases which are quite significant in their own right. So CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Kelvin Davidson said he was seeing signs the market was cooling after a hot start to 2021. Sales volumes had eased back a little and were now running at about the same levels as 2019. Our data on valuations ordered by banks, which are an early indicator of borrowers applying for loans, suggests there has been a tail-off in demand and this might be starting to flow through to actual sales. He says it shouldn't come as a surprise, especially since a number of deals would have already been pulled forward from later in the year to beat the tighter loan-to-value deposit requirements. Now, when the economists are generally making comments like this, that things are slowing or it's nearing a turning point, it's based on national figures. I think we've still got a wee way to go yet in this region due to um, the huge amount of uh, people that are moving here. So Davidson said it was not just about demand, but it was also about supply and the continued lack of listings had a big role to play in the reduction in sales activity. And he says that the uptick in mortgage interest rates over the last week would be an influencing factor in the property landscape. For those trying to buy their first home, interest rate increases will raise the bar to entry, and for those who have entered the market since 2014, which was the last time the OCR increased, they've only experienced low interest rates, so the increases will come as a shock to many who bought recently with a hefty mortgage, so I have to watch that space. But what increases will come and how quickly, uh, I don't think there will be many changes um, in, in a, a particularly quick fashion. However, conversely, even a quarter of a percentage point can uh, add maybe an extra 20 to $40 a week into the, the family household expenses. So we're going to stop just for a moment here on Property Matters. This is Song Sex on Fire by Kings of Leon.
You're listening to Property Matters here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo irirangi o nga tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company today. And we were talking about the housing market just before the break. We're just going to continue in that vein a little because I saw this article on the spinoff.co.nz that I thought might be of interest to you. It says New Zealand's housing market is broken and we've got the maps to prove it. So inspired by a map of the US housing market, analyst Emma Witz created a graph showing how much people needed to earn to afford a property in their region. So like I say, this is on spinoff.co.nz. So what she worked out was, or what she calculated was, the median property price by region, assume the buyer had managed to put a 20% deposit down, and they would have a 30-year mortgage at an interest rate of 4%. Now, that's a bit higher than where we currently are, but nevertheless, it's uh, worthy of, of the exercise. Of course, a deposit's the biggest hurdle for many people, she acknowledges, watching, wanting to buy a property. A 20% deposit is difficult to achieve unless you currently own a home that has been appreciating value or you have particularly well-off parents who are willing to lend a hand. However, I wanted to be generous, she says, assuming that the somewhat unlikely head start, see what it takes you to buy a property in New Zealand. So the answer is this map, which shows household incomes and what you need to be able to service, a, the, I guess, the median property in each region. So the answer unsurprisingly, is that you need a lot more than the average New Zealand household earns. In Auckland, an income of just over $170,000 is required, which is about $66,000 more than the median household income. Wellington requires an income of $132,000, $30,000 more than what the average household actually earns. And there's only three regions in New Zealand that require less than the annual median income in order to comfortably pay for the mortgage, and that's the West Coast and Southland, which collectively contain less than 3% of the country's population, in Canterbury, which has 12.7% of the population and apparently the only reasonable market of any significant size in New Zealand. So she then looked at the shortfall and she looked at uh, Manawatu, and I'll just grab that, I've gone and thrown a piece of paper on the floor again, it won't be a moment. In the Manawatu it says you need a household income of close to 88000 to be able to get the median household price. And she's compared that to the median household earnings, and that's a shortfall of around 21000 to buy in, in Manawatu Wanganui. So she goes back to say, I've often said that in order to buy a property in New Zealand, you need at least two of the following three things, a dual-income household, a high-income job, and rich parents. And in some parts of the country, you might need all three. Imagine trying to service that loan in Auckland. In order to even afford the average rent in your region, she worked out what you would need to earn. Uh, in Auckland, it's close to 100000 In Manawatu, Wanganui, it's 67000 uh, household just to be able to afford the, uh, the income. So it's a really good article if you get the chance to have a look. It's got lots of pictures and maps of New Zealand if you want to check the, uh, art, your area and how that stacks up. And that goes on to, bl- to blend into, I guess, this article by Miriam Bell from stuff.co.nz who says, most believe home ownership out of reach for the average Kiwi. So more than 80% of people believe the dream of home ownership is no longer attainable for the average Kiwi, a new survey reveals. The current housing market boom has caused house prices to surge, breaking price growth records along the way. Trade Me Properties' latest asking price figures put the national average asking price up by 18% annually, 
to an all-time high of 826,200, while the Real Estate Institute reported the national median had increased by 28.7% to 820,000 in the year to June. There had been widespread debate about skyrocketing prices, but a new report, Kiwi Families in 2021, showed 78.9% of respondents to a survey commissioned by OneChoice were worried. It also showed that 83.4% of respondents believed the dream of home ownership was out of reach for average New Zealander. Of those looking to buy, 79.1% felt locked out of the property market, while 71.5% were losing hope they would ever be able to buy their own home. Massey University Professor Graham Squires said housing affordability had become an increasingly debated area. Recent analysis from the university showed the rise in house prices combined with a drop in wages in many regions had led to a decline in home affordability of 6.8% nationwide just over recent months. The income gap between renting and owning had grown and home ownership was increasingly out of reach for low-income households. So it's pretty tough going out there. There's no two ways about that. And that's where it's important to consider what's happened in other countries that have, uh, where prices have got pretty high. I know, for example, in uh, places in Europe, in Sweden and in Germany, the government owns huge amounts of housing and people effectively, a lot of them rent for life. And there's nothing wrong with that. New Zealand just has the mindset that everybody has to have their own home that they own and that's something which is so strongly ingrained in our culture that it's hard to break. So moving on from that, uh, I just thought this article was interesting. It says, Homeowner warning, insurance cover may not be enough as building costs soar. This was by Jodie O'Callaghan in Stuff Business. So Ruby Debs. Oakley's charred character home is a painful reminder of the Kiwi dream she had only 48 hours to enjoy and is now struggling to reclaim. It was the first home she owned since moving from the United Kingdom 13 years ago and she'd just completed six months of renovations when it was destroyed by a faulty tumble dryer catching fire on June the 1st. The Christchurch resident had taken out some insured covered based on the calculations by her insurance company. I'm sure many of us can relate to that. But she was shocked to learn that the cost of rebuilding or repairing the home had gone up more than $100,000 in the six months since. Still unsure how to rebuild, Oakley warned homeowners to regularly get independent advice on rebuild costs while building prices were changing so rapidly. The shortage of materials and skyrocketing costs, particularly in the last few months, meant the price of building or renovating homes would continue to increase. I was at the Manawatu home show recently and I was talking to a number of people in those trades uh, who were saying it's definitely getting more expensive. For example, um, some builders reported that brickwork costs had gone up 20% in two months, cedar cladding 50% in three months and steels up 60% in eight months and everything that was imported was costing more. So the lady in the article, Oakley, she's now waiting for a $400,000 insurance payout, most of which would go to the bank to pay off her mortgage. The insurance company found it would cost 518000 to repair her home and more than 500000 to rebuild it. She says that she was insured for 400000 which I was advised six months ago was enough. And uh, they go, here's your money and sort it out on your own. People have no idea that things have gone up so quickly. So she bought the house for 350000 and spent 50000 on renovations. So this is something that all of us uh, should consider is whether the amount that our property or properties are insured for 
is now relevant. Such a such a shame, the story, because she bought the home in um, in October and spent seven months renovating it, and now um, the fire really took it uh, took it out. Um, so she's having to start again. That's it's really really tough going. Uh, the building costs uh, they quote someone uh, James Holloway from Holloway Builders. He was receiving emails every week from suppliers about price increases. It meant they're trying to source alternate materials. Clients and developers don't even want to know about using cedar, he says, for the reason I mentioned earlier. The standard home was costing $4,000-$6,000 more to build than before the COVID-19 pandemic struck. And the lead time is creating huge delays as well. Holloway says he's been waiting for bricks for a development coming up two months now. And uh, he believes suppliers are taking advantage of the tight shipping situation, hiking up prices from woe to go. Uh, of course, every part along the way gets marked up accordingly. So if your company's large enough and they have pre-ordered well in advance, the prices still might be down a bit. And um, the article anecdotally says that it might be uh, roofing costs that are the next ones to come. And this has been noticed around the country uh, in Canterbury Builders Limited. Phil Barkle said frames and trusses were taking six weeks longer to arrive than about six months ago. And as I mentioned uh, at the home show when I was there over the over the weekend, it is mirrored by what builders are finding here in the Manawatu, although I've got no specific examples, only just general comments that things are more expensive um, around uh, building. And that uh, also mirrors an article that I talked about probably in a show maybe a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about how when you build a house – with a home and land package, you agree on the price, and that's the same price you pay when it's finished, no matter how long it takes. Uh, builders are looking at whether to change that to a situation where that can be adjusted upwards to allow for some of these ongoing costs and cost rises. That used to be the case um, some time ago, but it hasn't been that way for a while. So you have to watch that space if you are looking at uh, building. It's been lovely having your company this week. I'm Greg Watson. This has been... Property Matters on One or Two People's Radio. Really enjoyed your company. Thank you for listening. Any questions, you can find me on the internet, Greg Watson, on Property Matters. Have a great week. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.